What's up? I know it's been a bit uh, here in L.A., L.A. Live at 710, where I do the podcast almost every time. And SBs are tomorrow, so um, I may go to one thing. But it is a little weird because everybody thinks I've been fired from ESPN. So um, when I've reached out and talked to a couple people, they're like, oh, you, I mean, do you feel normal going to that? I was like, yeah, I do. I, you know, I mean, I'm probably not presenting again this year. But I will um, take part in some of the stuff. Got some buddies that are in town. So that's kind of a fun thing. And, you know, I don't have to be stuck in a hotel room. So, uh, yeah. You know, that's what we're doing. So I have a lot of different things that I want to get to. Last week was kind of a mess because I was out in Vegas and finalizing all the stuff in the house. Quick update on that. Drapes, television, furniture, plumbing fixed today, AC still an issue, but washer dryer. So we're there. We're, we're, we're a grown up over Manhattan Beach. So feeling good about that. I uh, just went to park across the street and my card, well, let's not get ourselves kids. It didn't get declined, but it got declined because it's like a thick credit card. And so it didn't go through. And then a dude who was wearing all black, black on black. Okay. And I saw him checking a car to see if it was locked or unlocked. So he didn't look like a thief, but I was like, what's going on over there? And then I looked at him and said, do you work here? And he goes, no. He's like, what's the problem? And I go, well, I just, I was having a hard time with your payment machine here. And you know, I don't have enough change to be able to break this up and pay for it. And he's like, well, what is it? I said, I don't know, I think it's like five bucks for the day, which I found out because, you know, I'm a vet now and, you know, I used to pay 15, 20 to park it in a lot. And now I found this other spot, right? And so the guy comes up and he's like, I'll pay for it. And he just rips off five singles and puts it in. And I went, what? Like, what is going on? Like, where's the hook here? And I was like, you're just going to pay for five. Like, you're just going to pay for my parking for five bucks. And he's like, yeah, I don't care. He's like, it's only five bucks. I was like, yeah, I know it's only five bucks, but like, you know, where, what's the hook here? And I go, you know, what are you doing? And and he told me what he was doing, and I still couldn't quite figure it out. And I thought, like, is he going to ask me, so, hey, do you ever party in West Hollywood? You know, I, I don't really need you look in shape. I don't see a wedding ring. I'm like, well, okay. Uh, mm, you know, thanks for the paying for my parking, but um, – you know, I wasn't, I wasn't quite sure what it meant or then maybe, Hey, have you, are you secure with God? And I go, Oh, well, you know, look, I, everybody who believes whatever you want to believe makes feel better. Great. But yeah, you know, like, thanks for the five bucks, but I, I don't have time for that right now. And then he's like, are you Ryan Rosillo? Right. And I went, Oh, okay. He's like, yeah. Hey man, nice to meet you. Huge fan. So, uh, shout out to that guy for paying for my parking. That was really nice. So, you know, LA is not always as hostile as everybody makes it out to be. Uh, the other thing, um, I want to talk soccer. Rosillo Show podcast is your home for all things soccer. Saruti knows that. So What's up? there's a there's a thing that I I want to talk with Saruti about here a little bit. Uh, I've watched a bunch of the games and look, I I sat at home and watched the final. And I think one of the things that uh, casual fans or just drive by fans like uh, how I don't even know if I'm at the level of a drive by fan, but I was definitely into the World Cup. I didn't care that the U.S. team wasn't in it. I was still going to watch the games. The way the schedule works it was a nice little thing to wake up, throw a game on. Uh, if you love sports, if you love competition, if you love big events and the fact that this is once every four years and the entire world is engaged for the most part, like that's incredible. Imagine if LeBron had a chance once only every four years to win a championship and yet the world scale basketball, there was, there was 20 different countries that could compete at the highest level in basketball and he would only get to like, his legacy would be defined in the three times in his, in his career that he would ever get a chance to win a true world championship. So if you imagine those stakes for these soccer players like you realize how big of a deal this is i don't like the flopping and spare me soccer meme guy with the nba flopping it's not the same it's awful it's awful but it's it's not so awful now that i'm letting it detract me from uh or i'm not letting it detract from my just sheer enjoyment of what this is and i think even more importantly in today's society of trying to figure out a way to just 
get your eyeballs. You know, college basketball can be really frustrated about not having anybody care about his regular season, but at least they have that moment. They own those three to four weeks, and every single person that doesn't care about college basketball fills out a bracket. Like that, that is a great thing. You know, you can, you can stress and go, you know, should we start the college basketball season after football? Okay, maybe. But are those people that are filling out brackets in your office that don't watch, are they going to watch? You know, like maybe it works or maybe it doesn't. Like in a way, I think what you need to do if you have any of these sports properties, it's great in theory to try to spread out the calendar as much as possible and grow and grow and grow. But at least if you have that one thing that everybody cares about, that's incredible. And for right now, that's kind of what the World Cup is. So I was into it unlike ever before. My father, you know, was traveling. He was down in the Dominican and he's like, this is the best. He's like, I go to these places. I watch these games and you know, they, they didn't care who was playing. They just love soccer, right? Guys working on stuff at my house. You know, I caught two guys that were painting. Um, and I didn't really feel like I caught it, but I came home and they were in my bedroom watching the World Cup and sitting on, sitting on five gallon buckets. And I just went, Hey, what's up? And they kind of like freaked a little. And I go, I don't care, dude. Just turn it up. I'm not paying anybody. So, um, you know, it felt like everybody was in it. Twitter, all sorts of people admitting, here I am. I'm, I'm in now. I get it. Um, so that's, that's awesome. And then the ratings come out and they stink. And you go, wait a minute. How did that happen? I mean, look, they didn't just stink. They were, they bombed. So if you go back and look at the 2018 World Cup, and you know, I spent a lot of time this morning reading up on all the different rating stuff, cause if I, there's anything I've, I've learned certainly as a guy that, um, examines ratings quite a bit that you can kind of tell whatever story you want. Networks will tell stories that they want to sell and certainly sell to advertisers or they will want to sell um, a talent. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's all sorts of different ways you can go in and say, okay, this means this person is awesome or this show is terrific or this new thing that we've done is amazing or it's not that our rating is down but our total, total number of viewers. Like I love when somebody goes total number of viewers on something because then you go, well, you know what? Like we're comparing this stuff to 20 years ago. More people have TVs. Like yes, there's more competition but there's also a population increase. Okay, so some of these numbers should continue to grow on just what the raw viewership number is. But by all accounts, I don't know how you'd spin the World Cup in 2018 as a, as a winner for Fox. And some metrics I looked at was down 32%. Others saying it's 15%. And I know immediately everyone will say, okay, well, that's because the U.S. wasn't in it. But then what 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 do you say about France-Croatia in a, in a final, whereas four years ago? So I think the number was depending on what you want to look at, but the Nielsen number for Fox coverage, France-Croatia, was just under 12 million. There were 17 million people that watched ABC-ESPN's 2014 match. Now, I'm sure that there can be an argument made by, and this isn't me doing like because I'm an ESPN guy, uh, that's that's the furthest thing from this, but I, I think what you're, you could have is somebody could say, well, wait a minute, because it was the first time Fox had it, maybe it was harder for people to find, eh, okay. But like you can't say because the U.S. wasn't involved, when you had what was it Germany? Who was the, the final? Um, Saruti. Germany, Argentina. Ar- Germany, I would Argentina. Say that's maybe why there was a discrepancy. In, I mean, that's Messi versus like a powerhouse German team. Okay, but in the U.S., I mean, you're talking about losing seven. Okay, so it's seventeen and a half million viewers four years ago, and you're down. You know, like almost almost six million viewers. So is it because all these casual, like six million casual people, all of a sudden, well, like I'm out on, like Croatia had no pull, or so, was it because the U.S. was in it and people got into it a little bit more and stayed with it longer? Like my point, and before you jump in, and I promise I'm not going to go over ten minutes before I have you talk, but 
I think there are times we live in this cocoon of Twitter and all like-minded people and all of our colleagues and all these people that love sports, and we go, this thing, and I'm getting texts from buddies of mine going, like, is the World Cup just better or is it me? And the World Cup was awesome. I mean, it was it was so dramatic, all the stoppage time goals, all that stuff, a little too much set piece, like some more field creativity. Um, <laughs> but I, I just go, wait a minute, is this one of those things where all of us thought something was happening and we were having this moment of growth and the numbers tell us that's not even close to what happened. My two thoughts would be, I do think that if this was like France-England, you may have seen a higher number. Um, and my other thought would be, when it was in Russia, and, I'm sorry, when it was in Brazil in 2014, how much did the time difference hurt them? Time difference, I think, is a good call. Um, but then, uh, you know, if you go to 2010 numbers when we had it, so we had it in 2000, we've had it for a long time. We had it in 2010, 2014. And then, you know, the rights fees doubled up on this, you know, depending on how you want to look at it, but it looked like it cost a billion dollars. Um, well, I don't, you know, a lot of the international stuff. So like you could say ESPN paid this for the rights in 2014 and then Fox doubled it for 2018 and 2022. But then you can get really weird. I don't want to go too deep in the weeds on this, but then it's like, well, what's the ESPN Univision number? You know, that's, that's kind of the trick of all this stuff. And that's kind of the point that I'm making is as many tricks as you want to pull. The 2018 final is down from 2010, you know? So the rights fees double because this live rights continue. As much as we can argue about TV and the depth of ESPN, you know, all these, all these things that people want to keep saying, what you have to do is you have to adjust what your expectations are as one of these companies. And I would still say that, or my argument would be if I were in the room making these decisions is, okay, fine, things are changing and we have to, we have to adapt, but we're not going to change our priority of making sure we bring in live sports programming because that's still the audience that's 99.9% of the time sitting in front of a television watching it live. Um, and if, you know, I'm not even exaggerating by 99, maybe it's 98, but it's, it's, it's minimal people that are watching any of this stuff on DVR. I mean, that's why sports programming and the rights fees have exploded the way that they have. And you know, I have friends and these guys would be like, Oh, bubble, bubble. Cause everybody's a bubble, uh, freak now and wanting to call bubbles left and right. But I go, okay, well, we can talk about all sorts of, but, but like it's, there's still incredible value in getting the live rights stuff. So to have the numbers dip between 32% and say 15% if you want to spin it, because I've seen some articles saying it's actually only down 15%. But look, it's not just the final, the semifinals, the quarterfinals, they're all down really significant numbers. And yet it's felt like everybody has been more obsessed with the World Cup. And I'm wondering, it's almost, it reminds me a little bit of Trump. And we're a year out from Trump becoming president. It was this novelty and it was, it was, you know, funny to some, horrifying to others, you know, and it was like, what did he say? And like, okay, you know, this will be over now. He insulted John McCain. He's like, I don't like my heroes don't get captured. And you're going, oh, okay, all right, well, this will be over. And every single media member, I'm not talking about sports. I'm talking about political people, comment, like all sorts of commentary. It was like, when is this thing is going to be over? And everybody thought it was, there was no way it could happen. And then you go, you know, how did it happen? This guy ended up winning the presidency. Nobody thought it was going to happen. And yet it happened because I think that a lot of us were in this media cocoon of people that just saw the world one way and just like, no, folks, there's there's other people out there that don't think like you. And I'm not making this about right or wrong right now. I'm just simply saying, like, there's too many times in life where we go, well, no one would think that way. And you're like, yeah, there are there are people that you ever, you ever like. You know, you're on a date with somebody. Say you're a girl and you meet a guy and the guy goes, yeah, you know, um, 
I I feel like you know if, if I were going to settle down and build a house, it would have to be all from you know recycled plastic. I'm like what? Like yeah, you know that's just the way I feel, and you know I would I would I would harvest the plastic. I would go to dumps every weekend in my spare time and make sure I could find whatever. And I have a I have a a <laughs> melting process. You know, I'm just trying to think of like something absurd that you you'd, you'd meet somebody and be like, hey, I really get along with this person, and then you go, what? They're like I don't pay taxes. What? Yeah, I don't believe in it. Okay, well you're probably not going to be somebody I want to set settle down with long term. So, um. You know, to use that political analogy, it, it reminded me that a, a little bit because there was no way I thought the numbers would be this bad for the ratings. And it isn't strictly about the U.S. not being in it, because if you look at some of these final matches, they were they're still down from when the U.S. wasn't close to touching it four years ago. Yeah, I and I'm I'm you know soccer guy, quote unquote, and so I'm not trying to just like defend or figure out reasons why like it was down. Those are just like theories that I could potentially have. I do think the you're, time thing's good. I do no, think you're, you're right. I do think you're right. Like we see it on Twitter and I think it, it definitely like a ton of people on Twitter were talking about it. I felt like more people who usually aren't interested in soccer or would be making fun of soccer were interested in it or at least were like chiming in on things that were happening. So I think that was definitely real. Um, but then uh, again, like here's another, I don't want to be, make these be excuses for it, but like is all TV is kind of down, right? Like because of like, basically watching on apps and, and, and things like that and, and people canceling cable. So I'm just, I'm just spitballing. I'm just trying to figure out reasons and I'm not trying to, like I said, I'm not trying to make excuses because I'm obviously really no, invested. I, but, I'm not taking it as you being soccer guy, defending soccer at all. I, I think you're bringing up really good points that the time difference thing, like, Look, a lot of people can't start their day and watch a soccer match on a Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, the West Coast, like, it sort of got alienated. You'd have to wake up at, what, five in the morning to watch? No, it would be, what, no, seven, seven. seven in the morning to watch, seven. uh, to watch, you know, game. I don't know. I'm just, I, maybe, you know, maybe that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, is cord cutting six million people? I mean, that's, I think, the scary thing. But then, you know, you go back to advertisers and the stuff I was reading this morning is like advertisers feel like, you know, they, they it was a hundred million dollar loss. For five. I mean, all these numbers, there'll be an article coming out next week that'll say it is, it wasn't really that bad. And, and everybody's going to spin it to protect their own interests. But like some of these numbers can't be disputed. And then you go, okay, well, is this just an overall collection? Cause then it turns into like that NFL stuff, right? Is the NFL down? Well, no, is it really down 20%? Well, wait a minute. If you compare it to how much television is down in general, specifically network television, then you go, it's actually, its loss isn't as bad. So does that mean it's still a win? I mean, I still feel like sports is still a win, even if your overall raw number doesn't match what it used to. But I felt like that number was way off in a moment where it felt like all sorts of people, like you point out, that couldn't be bothered with soccer. You know, four years ago, I started liking it a little bit more. You know, eight years ago, I was still probably making fun of it. Um, I've always mentioned that once I watched that Champions League stuff that was over probably 10 years ago for the first time, I went, whoa, what is this? This is sick. But it wasn't like I was going to pick a team and buy a jersey all of a sudden and get all sorts of verses, you know, tatted up on my inner forearm. I'm like, oh, I like to look at this every morning to remind myself of what the – you don't look at that. Give me a break. But like, hey, I'm having a really bad day. Oh, let me check my forearm out again. Oh, okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Okay. Yep. Lord Shepherd. Cool. All right. Bountiful. Got it. All right. I'm happy. So, you know, I just – that kind of stuff, like uh, – I don't, you know, I, I just, I, I felt like it was so much more popular and, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's all it is. Maybe it's just strictly time zone. I mean, maybe they come back in, you know, four years and, and kill it again. I do think that the U.S. soccer angst thing though is really weird and it, it really pits, I think, common sense guy against soccer guy where, you know, if you're a soccer guy and, you know, I, I just don't, like Gottlieb was getting into it with a bunch of people. Uh, I've gotten got into it with rushed yesterday yep. by everybody, but I don't, I don't. His premise is is very simple. I don't 
Like if Russell Westbrook and Odell Beckham Jr. and Antonio Brown and these guys grew up playing soccer, if soccer wasn't what, at best fourth, maybe the fifth, you know, you can talk about how many little kids participate in soccer. I think the real number you got to look at is like high school. And the high school soccer participation number, like I was looking at the Aspen Institute studies this morning, trying to figure it out, like the decline of what, the growth of something. I mean, some of these things are really hard to decipher. Like, what are you selling me with this number? Like at one point, like the highest participation level, and it wasn't even close, was was cycling. And you go, well, what is that? And then I dug in deeper, and it was any kid between the ages of 6 and 12 that rode a bike once a year. So if you got on a bike once out of 365 days, that that you counted as a cyclist. So, okay, then like tackle football from 2010 to 2016 was pretty steady in the participation rate. I don't know what it is in 2018. I don't know if that's dropped off. I know it's dropped off at a, at a pretty good number at the high school level, but more high schools have added football, tackle football, right? And it's still the highest raw number of participation because that's because the team numbers are so much bigger. But I don't. Like to me, it's it's not a it's not a knock on soccer. It's not a knock on its skills. It just to me, it's total common sense. Like if everybody grew up as math being the number one priority in the United States, like other countries, then we'd be better at math. And if soccer was the thing everyone wanted to do more than anything else, more than football, basketball, baseball. You know, I don't think hockey is such a small number um, of people that would even be interested. And then you got to figure in the expense and, and where you live geographically. Uh, I don't I don't know why anybody like forget it. You, you can if you're a soccer guy and you go the, the height thing, you know, the, that height argument is probably true. Like if 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 six, six guys were awesome at soccer, we'd have more six, six guys. So like the, the idea that LeBron just running around is going to be a six soccer player. Like I, I'll give you that argument. Okay. Just stick him in goal. I would have to think like a LeBron or a Kobe in goal would be pretty insane if he grew up playing it the whole time, but it's not a knock on the sport at all. It's just to me, it's, it's common sense. If these guys grew up going, I want to be the next Messi and Randy Moss, you know, it would, it would change the way the game, it would change the level of success in the United States. I, I can't fathom how people would argue against that, and people do. Like, they're so upset about it. Well, I guess I'm somewhere in the middle then, because I, I, it's, it's, it is ridiculous to just be like, oh yeah, like, you know, Antonio Brown would be a nasty soccer player if he just decided he wanted to play soccer when he was, when he was a kid. I do think, if you're right, if more people in this, more kids in this country grew up wanting to be soccer stars as opposed to like football, basketball, baseball, Sure, it'd be better, but like the general infrastructure in our country, there is like a massive problem with how we develop people. It's like it, it is sort of a rich kid's sport, um, especially to get that specialized type training. So whereas where basketball and, and football kind of you, you can come from inner cities or or you know or poverty to be you know and, and become a great football player, or basketball player, that's not really the case when it comes to soccer. Um, and there, you know Forbes had a piece on it. I know I know everyone wants to knock Hope Solo, but she was actually sort of right on that. So if that changed because more people who were coming from, you know, lower income areas got more chances to play the sport, then yes, sure. I, you're 100% right. But you can't, it's just impossible for me to say that like, oh yeah, if Russell Westbrook decided he wanted to play soccer at age five instead of basketball, we would be awesome. Like, I don't think that's necessarily true. Okay. But I think that's like being really specific and missing the overall point. Like to just go, oh, if Antonio Brown started playing soccer, he'd be awesome. Soccer. Oh, okay. Well, I'll give you that. But if then, if you told me, the thousands of sick athletes in D1 college football, college basketball, you know, and then everybody that's like, if every one of those kids going said soccer is the number one priority for me, 
Like, how can you argue against that we'd have a better talent pool to pick from? Because that's, I think that's, it's about, it's about the insane. training. It's about the training that they get. Like, this is how a team like Croatia or a nation like Croatia with what? Like, four million people? Or like Iceland, who has less than a million three. people. Yeah. Like, the, the, these countries making the World Cup and making the final, I mean, those are among the smallest countries in the world. So it, to me, it's not a volume thing. It's more of how you're developing these guys. Okay, fine. We have problems in youth soccer. Like, I've heard Taylor Twelman talk about it. I've looked at stuff a little bit here and there, and like, it's set up almost like this, this self, I don't want to call it a pyramid scheme, but like, a lot of the stuff seems really odd. Yeah, you gotta financially. pay the coach, and it's right. like, it's shady. It is, it is. And that's what's so frustrating, because the reason why basketball is so great for any level of, um, of income is you just go out there and, you know, ball in a hoop. But hell, I mean, soccer should be easier. You don't even need a hoop. You know, a sock and a shoe. You know, I, it's not. It's, You're right. But um, these guys, like these guys, for example, like in Brazil, like these guys, you know, these kids that are like playing in the in in these poverty stricken areas are getting scooped up by these club teams that are these giving act, them the yeah, proper training right, right. that they need, and that's not happening in this country. And, and but I, I mean, a lot of the but, young, but isn't that part of the whole point though? Like that's the whole point. Like if it were prioritized, so yes, I'm not saying put Antonio Brown or Odell in cleats tomorrow, but like if it. It, whatever, however messed up you soccer is, it's still messed up or it's not as much because it's just not as much of a priority. Yes. And like people can talk about, oh, well, FIFA is blowing up and every kid is a soccer fan now and generation, like all that's going to pay off. Well, does it mean it's going to pay off as players? Cause here's the thing, like Sega hockey was the biggest freaking deal ever. I knew everyone in the NHL. I knew every player in the league because of the video game. And the video game had like a four to five year run where if you didn't play Sega hockey, something was wrong with you. And we used to think that like, oh, the sport is growing and the popularity is growing because everybody plays the video game. It's the best video game ever. And then guess what? Like other video games come out and surpass it. And Madden surpassed it. And it's not like the NFL needed that, but it just, it just did. Like then all of a sudden video game hockey like wasn't as much fun anymore. And now like I can't name, there were guys that won season awards and I like you know people can make fun of me like oh you should know better for ESPN honestly dude you don't need to know anything about hockey you could not know one player's name in the entire freaking league and work at ESPN full-time do really well make a great salary and no one would ever know and no one would ever care they wouldn't yep (laughs) (laughs) I remember there was a there was a sports center where Van Pelt and I when we still doing the radio show together Van Pelt and Kenny Main were hosting the show together and they were in every commercial break they were trying to figure out how many NHL head coaches they could name. And, of course, if anybody, you know, you know Kenny Maine, and he's very much like he is on the air, it's just this really dry humor that, like, you're not even quite sure. You're like, am I just being made fun of here for, straight, you know, 20 straight minutes or what? And then he'd just be like, Barry Trotz. And when Kenny Maine starts making jokes, Van Pelt loses it. Like, he can't. Like, I think Kenny Maine to Van Pelt is like the funniest person. Like, everybody kind of has that guy where you just look at him and you go, I can't help myself, but just dying laughing. That's Kenny Maine for Van Pelt. And so every commercial, and then he'd just be like, Claude <laughs> Julianne. And I think they got to like six or seven coaches. And then Kenny Maine said, I think, and I don't think I'm telling too many secrets here, but I think Kenny Maine was like, we are hosting Sports Center and we can't, we can't name. We can't name 10 coaches. And that's, I mean, you know, people can get mad about it, but you adapt. I used to know every single rotation and like every setup guy. Every now and then I'll be like, how many Padre starters could I name right now? And for the job. I love how guys on Twitter think that's like 
you know, what you need to have a job here to be like, oh, like, how do you have a job at ESPN? Ridiculous. And you're like, well, no, that's not, not really a, that's not really what you need <laughs> to work here. No, like, it's great to know stuff. You know, like I've always prided myself on like going the extra mile and making sure I understand every single thing. But then I started going, you know what I don't need to do every morning is read the pitching matchups. I used to study every single pitching matchup and I go, oh, look who's, in, you know, you know, I, you know, I'm just trying to like think of some random name from the past and be like, oh, you know, look at, I, I'm, I'm thinking of guys from the eighties. So I'm, I'm going back way too far. I'd be like, oh, Dontre Willis and his last threes really come together, you know, and it, it, it just doesn't, you know, you start studying all this stuff and you go, this doesn't really matter anymore. You know, it, it didn't, um, but yeah, like when I interviewed with the Red Sox, I was trying to get a job in the front office in 02. Yeah, I think it was 02. And my interview was on the third baseline with Ben Charrington. And it was the coolest thing ever as like a kid that grew up loving Fenway and loving the Red Sox. And I went in. He said he'd meet with me because he knew I'd been in Trenton. And I met him when he came down to watch the AA team. And, you know, I was hustling as much as I can. I was like, well, you know, I actually would love to get and work for a front office and, you know, all this different stuff. So he's like, look, I'll tell you what. He goes, when you get to Boston, you get settled. He's like, we'll sit down. We'll talk about it. And I've told this story before, though, Sir Rudy. I always need you to check me on my repetitiveness. Um, but, you know, we walk in. We go out to third baseline. Grounds crews out there. It's middle of the day. It's awesome. And, um, you know, I wrote a letter, like a cover letter with my resume, like why I wanted to do nice. this. I can't, I can't even imagine how embarrassing that would be now 16 years later. I memorized every single 2002 draft pick by the Red Sox as if that was going to come up in the interview. You could like every, trick yourself into thinking that that stuff matters and makes you better. Like it, it really does. Like it, you know, no, I was like, Oh man, I stayed up all night. I, I remember I could, I could have recited all 50 picks, like including the supplemental picks. Like, and we just wanted to be on it in case it came up like, as if he was going to be like, Hey, in the 13th round, you know, how'd you feel about, you know, Chuck, Chuck, uh, God, I'm, I'm bad at this today. Chuck Sandler, not Donnie Sadler, you know, and, uh, he look, like, well, you know, he's, 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 he needs to get better against lefties. All right. You're hired. <laughs> no, it was so stupid. He was doing me a favor by even giving me 30 minutes. We sit out there and he's like, yeah, it's the greatest job in the world. Look at my office. And we look at on third base and he was like, all right, good luck, kid. I was like, all right, awesome, dude. Talk to you later. And that was my interview with the Red Sox. Okay, we're going to get into Le'Veon Bell and a little Kawhi Leonard here. But first, I want to tell you a little about Bespoke Post, who delivers a monthly theme box of awesome full of goods to upgrade your style, apartment, and life. We told you about these guys. I hope you're getting on it. If you haven't yet, check it out. There's a ton of box themes, styling, grooming, cooking, drinking, or travel. Bespoke Post has new boxes every month that you're guaranteed to dig. No commitments. Bespoke Post lets you know which box they picked out for you on the first of each month. You'll have five days to keep it, switch it, or skip it. So that's kind of cool. You're like, hey, I remember like some of these other subscription services I've had. This stuff just shows up, and I go, I don't want this. This one's telling you, hey, man, think about it for a week. You know, how about that? They're not even asking you to commit right away. Um, I know that a few of the perks that I have hosting a podcast um, but for me and Saruti specifically, getting hooked up with a box of awesome from Bespoke Post every month, these guys are upgrading all of our styles, our apartments, our life. They, I don't know if they could have done my drapes, but one box at a time. It's kind of like a present from myself to myself once a month. Now you can experience it too at boxofawesome.com. Also, uh, the grooming stuff is huge. 
the little deal where it's like, if I want to have a little cocktail party, a little apres ski deal, if you're in a mountain resort, they can set you up with all those little things that you never have. That you like see them at, like you're leaving Marshalls. I know a lot of you guys shop at Marshalls, but you're understand the point. And you go, these guys are going to hook the whole thing up for you. What do you have, Saruti, from them? What do you keep getting from them? Well, I got the uh, grooming box, which was, I mean, it's a lot of good hair care, obviously, for me, which is important to my life. Um, yep. Good shampoo. Awesome. Actually, this was like the thing that was the most amazing thing that they sent me was the toothpaste, which is unbelievable. And I know Jesus are going to be you like, love Yo, toothpaste. toothpaste, that's boring. No, this no, toothpaste was awesome. And it's something I would have never bought. Awesome bag, some hair product, obviously, because I got to get the Euro style going. So if you're into that, all about it. Yeah, I gotta make sure I go back and order the weekender bag thing because it's like a nice little bag. I remember when I bag. I went to the Gansvort in the meatpacking district, and this was like a big date. It was a date weekend, bringing a girl, and I wanted to be. And I remember, um, I was staying up there. They had the pool deck, and everybody knows this hotel. You know, it used to be kind of a scene. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I hate when things are like, oh, it's not cool anymore. Don't go to it. Yo, you will, you can still go to Gansvort. You're a loser. Uh, well, whatever, man. 10, 11 years ago when I went, it was awesome. It was an incredible weekend. And I bought a really expensive bag because I was trying to be impressive to this girl. And I thought if I just show up with a gym bag, she's going to be like, this guy's a loser. He's got a, he's got a Nike bag. That says like just do it, and we're checking into the Gansvort. And if I had had bespoke posts back in the day, they could have hooked me up with the whole weekend package, and I would, you know, because I feel like there's a certain age or certain level that you want to be at, where it's like, man, if you're going to do the weekend thing with a girl that you just met, now, granted, once she learns all of your deficiencies and you at your worst, you just throw throw stuff in a garbage bag. At that point, it's too late, especially if you're married, like you can do whatever you want. But if it's in the beginning where you're still you're both pretending you're better versions of yourself. You know, these guys can hook you up with that back because I think I spent like $400 on some leather canvas deal. Bespoke Post scouts out quality and unique products around the world, delivering them to you every month without high retail markups. To get started, visit boxofawesome.com and answer a few short questions that will help them get a feel for the boxes that'll go best with your style. Whether you're in search of the perfect drink, a well-kept pad, or jet setting in style, Bespoke Post helps you get there. Improving your life one box at a time. Each box goes for under 50 bucks, but has more than $70 worth of unique gear waiting inside for you. On the first of each month, you'll receive an email with your box details. You'll have five days to change colors and sizes or add extra goods to your box. If you're not feeling that month's box, then simply skip it. From barrel aging kits to limited edition cigars, weekender bags to classy dop kits, Bespoke Post offers essential goods and guidance for the modern man. Here's the deal. 20% off your first subscription box. And we know a ton of women listen to this podcast because you're constantly DMing me on Instagram. Hey, really cool. I loved the way you talked about how the salary cap goes up. That was sweet. I don't know why I turned her into a 16-year-old lacrosse jerk but i don't i don't really know what that female voice was there by the way oh and by the way you guys that keep dming me asking me for book recommendations or hey what was that book rewind the freaking podcast i say the name of the book almost every time i mention the book currently still trying to get through grant also reading sapiens also reading the corporation the cuba book okay there you go so i think what you're hoping i do is answer the book request which i get constantly and i say it all the time I say the books, and I think you just want me to be your Instagram DM buddy. And, you know, there was one guy who I didn't know. He just looked really cool in his avatar, and I answered his question. I said, the only reason I did this is because you look like you're a cool guy. He was like, that means a lot to me. All right, 
20% off your first subscription box, boxofawesome.com. Enter the promo code RUSSILLO. That's R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com, promo code RUSSILLO, two S's, two L's, for 20% off your first box, bespoke post, theme boxes for guys that give a damn. Okay, quick break, and we will have more on uh, Le'Veon Bell, which I know I wanted to get into, why I kind of love what he's doing but don't understand it, the Kawhi Leonard stuff, the Paul George analogies that everybody's making, and this LaShawn McCoy story, and not so much what it is right now because I don't know what it is, but why so many people feel comfortable already saying they know what the story is. Okay, so Kawhi we'll get to in a little bit. I, gotta tell, I don't really have a lot of intel on that one. But I can tell you about the whole Paul George thing and how that now influences Kawhi. You can already figure that out. So we'll do that. Le'Veon Bell. Okay. For the record, for the millionth time, I am pro player. I am pro player versus being pro owner. Owners that sit there and, and I almost swore, complain every single CBA negotiation. We're losing, we're losing, we're losing money. Tell me the guys that are selling pro sports franchises in America that are losing money on the resale. Cause they're not. They're not doing it. Okay. And when I hear them say, well, we put up the risk, we put up the equity, so therefore, like if I had stocks that, you know, even if I didn't make any money from 2018 to 2020, but somebody told me when I sold my stocks in 2030 that I would double my money, I don't care what the up and down charts are in the previous years. Like if I know I go, hey, I'm good. Hey, you took a loss this year. Hey, you took a loss this year. Oh, you. And these NBA teams aren't taking losses. All right. I don't want to hear it. If I know, like if everybody's taking losses all the time, the way they try to argue publicly, NFL or NBA, then you guys wouldn't trip over yourselves to pay for them, to buy them from somebody else, okay? And the purchase prices are insane. Again, kind of back to the whole live right stuff that we were talking about there with soccer. I mean, there's a reason why NBA franchise valuations have more than doubled. So when the equity guys, the guys that put up the money, I understand them saying like, look, I'm the one putting together a billion dollar price tag to buy one of these things. No player should reap the benefits and the appreciation. And you're like, okay, fine. But what you, you want to play that game? You want to say the players, they didn't put in any money? Fine. Okay. But you are not, you're not risking that money. It's a privilege. You're almost chosen to get to buy one of these teams. And then whenever you want to sell it, you're always going to make money on it. So this isn't just like, Hey, I'm, I'm not, I'm not buying some tech company. You know, I'm not deciding, you know what? It's going to be all about global. I want to do coastal mining. You know, who knows? You might not even have the right drill bits. Okay. So I am always pro player in that. However, however, when it comes to players, specifically NFL players complaining about their, their lot in life with contracts, I can't, I can't do it, man. I can't do it. You guys, like, I don't want to make this an all uncomfortable. I'm not going to say this about all 1800 plus NFL players, but if you want me to listen to you on some social issues and you can't figure out the math between 450 NBA players and 82 game schedules versus 1800 players and 16 game schedules, and you can't figure out the revenue split on that, then I, like, why would I listen to you on anything if you can't figure that part out? So when there are players mad about NBA contracts, and I know I've done this rant a million times, like, I just, like, as soon as you say that, I'm like, oh, uh, okay, we're done. You know? We're done. Hey, what's up, Ryan? Oh, it's my, my man, Doug. Oh, hey, I'm Doug. You work in sports, huh? Yeah, yeah, how's it going? Whatever. Everything's fixed. All right, Doug. You and I are going to hang out tonight. And that'll be the same thing. If I'm at some SB's deal and I run into an NFL guy who I like and we start talking and he starts complaining about the NBA stuff, I'm going to go, dude, I got to go talk to Bill Wolf. 
That's how I feel about it. So when Le'Veon Bell, it's kind of two different things. Like all of these guys want to complain about how bad their contractual or contractual is the right way to say that situation. I I agree. I think all NFL contracts could be guaranteed. I think we've just bought this this public service announcement, and because we're selfish and we don't want bad contracts with the guy that's hurt on our team, screwing up our cap. But here's the deal: almost every real NFL contract is a three year deal. What are you making in the first three years, and how much is the guaranteed money? Okay. And if you don't believe me, every single front office guy that was ever come into the studio, who's ever hung out with me in all the years I did the studio show, Paulie would sit there. Hey, a contract came out. He go three years. Tell me the numbers. What's the guaranteed money okay that's it three years in the guaranteed money so this headline of Le'Veon Bell turning down 70 million is incredibly inaccurate okay so that part I guess I'm trying to figure out like which side do I want to take Le'Veon Bell's side on so here's the thing he wasn't really offered 70 million dollars we'll start there he was offered five years in 70 million but really what it was was two years and 33 million okay so all of the money was going to be paid in the first two years of $33 million guaranteed. That's pretty good. But if you're Bell and you're already about $15 million on a franchise tag, what you're really saying to him is, well, we already have you for this. This is the Kirk Cousins thing. When the Washington Redskins put out this massive presser about how they'd offer Kirk Cousins the most in the history of the franchise, it's like, no, all you did was offer him a second year on top of the guaranteed money he was already going to make at a massive franchise tag at the end. Like, Cousins got so far in the franchise thing that, like, it kept escalating. Like, Cousins is the unicorn of these NFL contracts and that he actually kept betting on himself every single year. And for the most part, these guys don't get hurt and have these career-ending injuries. So, yes, I think the contracts could be guaranteed. No, I don't think anybody would ever hold out long enough in the next CBA to fight it. And I had Dominique Foxworth on. We went did that whole podcast about, you know, I had said on the air, you guys got crushed. And I felt like, look, you got 60% of the revenue split. It was players, owners, 60%. Now, there's a weird way they calculate it where it's like three different things, but now it's more of a 50-50 split. And I felt like from the outside that the players gave up a percentage of the cut, which if you go back to the history of the 60% cut for the players, that was a tagliaboo deal that he pushed through years and years ago, obviously before Goodell. And so many owners resented tagliaboo and getting that deal done because tagliaboo apparently at the time was like, on my watch, I don't want to have a holdout or a lockout or any of this kind of stuff. And the owners immediately resented him to the point where people were like, he's never going to get into the Hall of Fame because the owners are so mad about that deal that they did. I think even Ralph Wilson, after the owner of the Bills, was like, that's the worst deal ever. Like, as he walked out of the room, was like, I can't believe we did it. And it was a 60% split in favor of revenue for the NFL players. Players. So this time around, the owners are like, no way, no freaking way we're doing that again. But it's like, oh, you want less contact? Oh, you want less practice time? Oh, you want more say in the offseason stuff? You want to do all these things? Okay, so your betterment of life things have gone up. But what you're doing is to get those, which we don't even care about as owners. Go ahead. We'll, because we're giving you something, we need to take something back. And that was taking back more money. Now, you have to, you would have to fight for guaranteed contracts so then you would have to give something up i don't even know what that would be like you want to start taking 40 percent of the split you don't want to do that because really some of these contracts are already guaranteed anyway so like okay it's five and 70 million no it's not really but what if i said hey Le'Veon bell is agreeing to a three-year deal for 45 million guaranteed okay well if i were running back getting closer to 30 i would want to go ahead and do that but like that's all the the language would happen, but then you'd have to get rid of the franchise tag because the franchise tag is the best impediment of these guys ever having. If you're a great quarterback, ever having a, a real open bid on you, it's just not going to happen. And that's why, like, yes, if if Aaron Rodgers were a straight up 
free agent, or some of these other guys, if Andrew Luck before the injuries, free agent, and that's why Kirk Cousins got so much guaranteed money because, he, look, he's not even a top-ten quarterback, and he got so much guaranteed money because he was really like, to the he made it through. He actually made it through. So it always gets back to the math. The math is is that if you look at what a player would have to lose salary-wise to fight back for guaranteed contracts, which wouldn't even be money necessarily, it would just be restructuring and we would just have the contracts would just be announced differently and structured differently. So if you fought for guaranteed contracts, would you give up the revenue split? And then it's like, okay, so how much of like I all right, I'm in my twenties, I'm coming off my rookie contract, I'm gonna get a second contract, I'm a good player, I'm a first round pick, so I'm gonna get paid, I'm hoping to get like twenty million guaranteed. I'm gonna sit out a season or miss half a season and do the CBA thing to become a pioneer for the next generation. Nobody operates that way. So that's why as much as these guys all complain, you go, well, what are you going to do about it? You're going to look at the numbers. You're going to go, how much am I going to have to give up? How much salary am I going to lose potentially by holding out to making sure a generation that I'm not even, might not even be around for benefits like, I'm not doing that. And nobody would. Nobody would. So that's why all the complaints from NFL players, I'm like, dude, I agree with you. Except for the NBA stuff, the comps. But none of you guys are ever going to do it. And I actually don't blame you for doing it. So when you look at Le'Veon Bell, like, yeah, I think he's nuts. I think he's nuts to not. And I understand his point. He's like, oh, $33 million guaranteed. I'm already almost getting half of that as a franchise tag anyway. If you want $17 million a year, I can't. I can't bash him for wanting more and potentially risk risking future earnings for being kind of a pioneer or trying to be a pioneer at this position. So that part I kind of respect, even if I disagree with him. But then when you start breaking all the stuff down about who gets paid, like when LaShawn McCoy is at eight million, when Jarrett McKinnon in his contract, I was looking at it this morning. Like people go, oh, Jared McKinnon's actually the second highest paid running back. Well, it depends. A lot of times they do this thing, and it happens with receivers all the time. The receivers will be like, oh, and the agent will say, oh, he's the my guy. You know, be like one of the five best receivers in the league. He'll go this year. He's the thirtieth highest paid receiver. And you're like, you just you're completely eliminating the average annual salary signing bonus numbers. Like he got a signing bonus of fifteen million, and that factors into how much money he makes per year. But this year, because the signing bonus has already been paid out. That year, he's making like three million just because it's a roster bonus, and that's his base. Like you, you, you're you know, a lot of these these NFL contracts and the way they argue who's getting what, depending on the year it falls on. There've been quarterbacks that have massively gotten paid in like one year, but his, the overall average annual salary isn't that high. So good for Le'Veon Bell for wanting to be paid more than anybody else. Okay, fine. You think you're a receiver and you're 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 not just a you know the agent said they wanted to pay the position and not the player. Well, here's the deal. You're still a running back, and I have no problem with the NFL going, you know what, we just don't value it anymore. Maybe the NFL shouldn't have valued the running back as much as they have in the past. I've never looked at a team and said they're really scary because of their running back. I, I haven't. It doesn't happen. I had people asking me today as I tweeted out about Le'Veon Bell, well, what about Saquon Barkley? I'm like, dude hasn't even taken a snap yet. And now the Giants are Super Bowl contenders? That's insane. Oh, what about Marshawn Lynch? You know what, it was Seahawks defense first, and honestly, Marshawn's probably pretty overrated. Seriously, we all like him. It was fun, especially he was he was a jerk, and then he won, and then it was fun, and then he was kind of like a guy that was a bad teammate again. Okay, so Marshawn has had some pretty lean years for somebody. You're telling me like he's the reason why the Seahawks won. The Seahawks won because that defense was insane for about a three year period. Um, Terrell Davis is probably the last guy. Seriously, with the Broncos, as great as Adrian Peterson was, and he was awesome 
and he might have been the one guy where I go, you know what, I can actually understand paying that kind of money. I don't know who's going to pay Le'Veon Bell that next year. Now, maybe because there's a salary floor with the NFL cap deal where you get to pay to a certain number, although some of this cap stuff carries over, which nobody ever talks about. Um, you know, maybe there'd be a team that's like, man, Le'Veon Bell, this is awesome. This is cool. He's so much fun and this is great. And then if their quarterback stinks, nobody's going to pick that team to win anything anyway. So I don't blame the NFL. It's almost like, why would I spend money or why would I even run up the middle when I have a chance to pass it over the top? That's the evolution of this game. It's a lot like baseball where it's like, why would I choke up and swing down on the ball with two strikes and try to get a base hit when I can tilt crank a 28 degree launch angle and try to hit a home run basketball why would i take a two when i can take a three and that's what it is why would i run the ball up the middle when the chances are you know yes physicality superiority we're going to hit them in the mouth and all this stuff or i can get you on a slant route and bust it for 20 yards and that's 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 just what the game is and that's what's happened in so many other different sports and that's why you know running backs that go oh there's this bias against running backs is it bias or is it reality you go I mean, Jeremy McKinnon's the third highest paid running back in the NFL. And that's the thing is the Bell's deal. Okay, they wanted to pay the position. If the Steelers really wanted to pay the position, the way the position is being paid, they'd be paying him $8 million a year. And that's the problem for Le'Veon Bell. So I don't fault him for wanting to do whatever he wants to do to get paid and be this pioneer that so many other guys in the league won't be. And Cousins was kind of that too. But the reality is, is none of you dudes are going to hold out long enough and risk your money up front for money that's going to be paid out to other players. And... Whenever I see somebody be like, oh, the NFL has it out for running backs, they don't have it out for you. They're realizing, I don't, I just, why would I want to tie up that much cap space in a position that it maybe took too long to realize wasn't as worth it? Okay, one last tidbit here, and that is the Kawhi Leonard stuff. I don't really have a ton of intel on it for you. Uh, I know that the latest report that LA and Philly had given up, I, I really have a hard time believing Fultz wouldn't be in a Kawhi deal for Philadelphia. I really do. So I'm not sure. I gotta do some more digging on that. Um, the Lakers thing. That would, like, were you telling me, like, Brandon Ingram, you wouldn't trade him for, for Kawhi? You know? And this whole thing of, like, we don't know how healthy he is. He wasn't in X-Men and an arm was cut off here. You know what I mean? Like, he, he, he pulled a quad. And he's still younger than you think. He's still relatively young. So I don't get that. What I really don't understand then, and as soon as Vegas put Toronto at the favorite, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, is this going to happen? If you're Toronto and you trade DeRozan and Kawhi bolts after a year, like you can't do that. And just because, and I've seen a lot of people say this, just because the Paul George thing worked out, that to me, that's such a flawed approach to go. Well, Paul George stayed, and nobody thought he would stay, so I'm going to do the same thing now for Kawhi Leonard. So we'll see. Who knows? By the time we do the next podcast, he could be somewhere. Uh, but everybody seems to be writing off the Lakers. I'm just not sure. I'm ready with that yet. I wouldn't have any issue trading DeRozan, and I, I get what you're saying for the whole like everybody thinks, you know, because OKC was able to keep Paul George. That is ridiculous. Like you shouldn't you shouldn't think that. Oh well, Kawhi might stay because. Paul George did. But I think this window, like that Toronto, the thing is open. And if you can get a Kawhi for one year, who knows in the East? Like maybe you can make the finals. Like you never know. And I know you're screwing yourself up for the next couple of years, but you I really like, do you really love DeRozan that much? You really love that contract that much? Like I'm just not sure that I, I'd rather take a one year flyer and just try to do something with a great player like Kawhi, as long as he's like willing to play, obviously. Um, I, even just, if it's I just don't think year. you can. 
I don't think you can do one year stuff like that. I don't. And here's the other thing. Like, okay, so you, Kawhi, what if Kawhi's like, okay, cool, trade for me. I'm leaving after the year. I'm like, ah, that's fine. We just trade it around. We just, we'll go for it for a year. To me, I, I don't know, man. That, and here's the thing. Like, right. you, it's, you it's, have it's to hard do- to sell. Like, I get why you'd be like, wow, okay. So we're just, we're basically just going all in and we're trading maybe our best player. Now, like, if you had to do DeRozan and Ananobi, I'm like, if I'm going, hey, am, he's just told us he's not resigning. So you, you'd be psyched you're getting DeRozan and you're not getting OG. You're not. He looks so good in the summer league. Yeah, I get, I don't know. I, I see, maybe I'm doing this. It's like in the NBA 2K mode, Steve here, who's just being like, screw it. Like, I'll just, you know, I'll tank again and figure it out if I'm Toronto, if this doesn't work out. But I just don't love what you have with that group beyond, you know, like I, I know they have a, like a lot of depth, but I just don't love DeRozan and Lowry together anymore. Like, I'm not sure you're, no one does. You I'm float, not going to argue. You float around right. and be okay in the East for a couple years and not really win anything. And they haven't won anything to this point anyway. Or you can but, just try. I don't know. Uh, look, I get it, but and I'm not. And look, this is not. I'm not exactly like Adnan Verk over here, Captain Toronto. All right, I can't stand them either. I think they're gutless. That you could sit there. And I don't. I don't say that kind of stuff really. But like that team on the mental toughness scale is not high. Okay, like you just get mentally owned after this 59 win season, and you you get swept. By this Cavs team that wasn't even that good. Like, what's wrong with you guys? Their biggest but issue t- was the Cavs. It wasn't necessarily like the Celtics. I know, I know the Celtics are going to be better next year, but their issue was LeBron and he's now gone, right? Okay. But, but here's the, like, do this thing. Like, are the, were the Raptors winning the whole thing? No. I guess if you got to the NBA finals, you'd say, Hey, we got to the NBA finals and our culture, but how's it going to feel when he signs with Lakers in 2019? <laughs> yeah. It's going to, I mean, you it's, know, you're going to go, it's going to be awesome. Oh. Like a year is a very short time. And so like, yeah, we had this, you know, wow, I brought in Kawhi, a top five player. And it's like, yeah, and you gave up. And I'm not telling you DeRozan's awesome, but I don't know, man. I, I couldn't trade for him unless I knew he was staying. I mean, maybe Philly quit not because of what they were offering. is because of what they were hearing from Kawhi and that I'm not going there. And that whole LeBron was really close to going to Philly. It's just not true, man. He didn't meet with him and the top agent didn't even meet with him. And I know what happened and I know what the story was. It It's just... It was, it was, you know, having a great relationship for another clutch sports client and Ben Simmons and showing the Sixers respect by even putting him on the, on the to-do list. But it what like, I thought Philly was always an option. And then after I'd heard everything that happened, it was like, oh, okay. So that was just like just a year long of, Hey, Philly could be a place. Philly, 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 Philly. And it's like, okay. So you didn't even like LeBron didn't even show up. And I think the top clutch guys didn't show up. So and then the Sixers are like, "Hey, we were really close. We came in third. Is that why they try to get Daryl Morey? Well, I think they try to get Daryl because Daryl, Daryl's terrific. Um, man, they still, you know, they still kind of on the fly here post Colangelo. Uh, I had one little other rant. I'm not sure. I. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to save it. I'll save it. We'll see what happens. Because I haven't said anything about the LaShawn McCoy story because I just don't think it's right. I don't think, I don't think I know what it is. And I feel like LaShawn McCoy is directly responsible for all the Chip Kelly stuff that Chip had to deal with. And I think if you go back, like I was talking with somebody about it the other day, I go, you know, Chip, everybody hates Chip Kelly. All right, fine. I get it. Um, and I don't mean everybody hates him, but like he just ended up becoming somebody nobody likes. And then everybody blames me for like him. Yeah, I like him. Sorry. I like him. Okay. Um, but he was, he was called a racist. 
essentially. And then we debated whether or not Chip Kelly was a racist for a couple months. And then it's just like, hey, man, you get, you know, you got to get out of here. And Stephen A. started all that stuff. And he started it with the guys like LaShawn McCoy. And then Stephen A. came on the show. I think Scott and I were still on then. And I challenged Stephen. And look, Stephen A. and I have always been really cool. I disagreed with him. And then he told me on the air, we went back and forth at it. And I go, I just think it's totally irresponsible. And he's like, well, he didn't cut Riley Cooper. I'm like, okay, he didn't cut Riley Cooper. And then I said, well, look, he's get paid zero money and he's a big part of their blocking scheme. And then Stephen A lost. It was like blocking, blocking. And so, you know, it was a Chip Kelly, is he a racist for, you know, the, the, the graphic bar because he didn't cut Cooper. And I'm like, and then by the way, Stephen A was like, yeah, I don't believe that he is, by the way, but it was a really good segment for television and it sucked for Chip Kelly and LaShawn was a part of that. And LaShawn had been vocal about it all the time. So like my, my point would be, and I have not made up my mind cause I don't have enough information on what happened. And if you don't know, um, an ex-girlfriend or girl he was involved with and had been dating for a while, apparently they had broken up, she's staying at this house and there had been some disturbances in the past, the police showing up. A couple of the reports said that the police said it was a peaceful, you know, confrontation and that he wanted furniture back. And then, uh, the girl, her friend posted pictures of the girl beat up and her face bleeding and then saying, well, Sean McCoy was responsible for it. And then, you know, the story now is, do you believe that Sean McCoy did it? Or do you believe that Sean McCoy hired people to go in and rob the house and beat her up and take back jewelry that he thought was his? And the easiest thing for anybody would have been just to blast LaShawn McCoy. And obviously I think that a lot of the chip stuff, he got done wrong and, you know, I wouldn't be like, but I would never feel comfortable enough. And like, I didn't really look, I've, I've kind of already gone that far now, but I wouldn't now say or do the segment or the tagline or the tweet where I'd go, Oh, right. So everybody wants to back LaShawn McCoy's opinion on somebody else's, you know, the way they conduct, but I don't know. I don't know. I think the Reuben Foster thing was another great example of until we know more, like, I don't, I don't know what to do, but then I'll see colleagues of mine. After the LaShawn McCoy thing, like right now I have a complete open mind about the LaShawn McCoy thing. I don't know what to believe and I haven't decided and that's it. And that's what I would do if I were doing a segment the day that news came out. But what happens is when that news comes out, everybody makes their, oh, the NFL, you know, suspends you a year for weed, but you know, to be determined on LaShawn McCoy. And it's like, you're doing this again. Like what, what is that move? Like I, that, that infuriates me. And I find that there are voices that, that I work with, that I listen to, that I like. And I don't know if it's pandering or if it's, Hey, I don't want to have an open mind about anything to prove to you how much I hate domestic violence. So does that mean me going, I don't know what to make of this because it's an Instagram post and I would say you can't suspend them until you know more information. Does that mean that I'm okay with domestic violence? Like, what do you want the NFL to do? Like, okay, wait a minute. All right. So it's on Instagram. How many likes does it have? Oh, it has a lot. All right. Let's give him eight games. Well, you can't do that. You can't do that. And then people do this thing where they, they stand and they go, Oh, the NFL screwing it up again. How, why would anyone want to live in a world where all that could happen is there could be just be a post about you and then everybody just runs with it and then you're judged that way? Now look, if LaShawn McCoy did this and he's behind this, he should be toast, toast, but nobody, and, and maybe in a way of like all of us having public forums and stuff, we're, we're all afraid to have an open mind about anything and then be labeled like, oh, you're, you're soft on domestic violence or you don't understand it. Look, I, I understand it. 
I understand that there's so many people that change their stories for the benefit of the man in the relationship, especially when that man is a public figure. There's no disputing that. It happens all the time. Um, I don't know that LaShawn McCoy, because he said stuff about Chip Kelly I don't like, doesn't mean I'm going to go, oh, well, he definitely did it. Like, I wouldn't do that. But I'm really surprised at how often people keep playing that same note of, well, the NFL gets it wrong again. Up oh, the NFL, wrong again. Here we go. And then it becomes like a Kaepernick thing. Like, oh, Kaepernick's blackballed, but LaShawn McCoy still eligible to play. Are you kidding? Like, how do you want the NFL to do this stuff? Hey, well, here's a street fight. Okay, well, what, what do we have here? Well, it says uh, Gronkowski's in the fight, but we don't see him. Well, is he tagged? He's tagged on the post, but he's not in the video. All right, tagged eight games. If he's in the video, 16. <laughs> like, it doesn't, life shouldn't work that way. And as awful as some of these stories are, and the Reuben Foster one was really bad, I'm not even saying, like, he's some angel on all the other stuff, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I like, we have... We are lucky enough to have the audiences that we have, and I would always, especially now, I, I think you can you can have heightened sensitivity. You can understand these things. You can be infuriated by a lot of it, but especially something is just, I don't know, um, connecting the dots on this McCoy thing. Like, this is going to take time. It doesn't take 24 hours. You wouldn't want anyone, none of us would want that at our place of employment. I was like, hey, we heard this thing about you. Okay, we're not going to investigate it, but you're done. Okay, that got more serious than I thought it was going to get. Okay, check out uh, the podcast, Rosillo Podcast, iTunes, the ESPN app. Um, I got a couple other huge guests scheduled. Part two will be my first installment of L.A. Life uh, with a big, big, uh, big star, man, Adam McKay on Step Brothers, his whole background, his start, the Bulls even a little bit, LeBron to L.A., and transitioning to the big shore and the best advice I think I've ever read um, for actors, writers, uh, something he was told a long time ago. And I'll ask him about that at the very end. Thanks for listening.